0: There's a big challenge with visibility of spend, but not just from the actual dollar amount. The very often they know what they're spending, they just don't know how they're spending it.
1: Welcome to the RAP Resource a Podcast. I'm Nick Cressy, Managing Director of Strategic Partnerships, joined by Kyle Hall, our lead consultant and director of operations. Each week, we will bring you a conversation with leading industry players to spotlight emerging technology, share best-in-class carrier insights, and discuss how innovative tech is driving businesses forward. Whether you're an operating partner at a private equity firm, a CIO, or other business leader, tune in weekly as we share insights from the expanding playing field of digital transformation.
2: Today, we're joined by Michael Arnold, Senior Consultant here with Resourcive. This is a call we get into a little bit of the details and actually talk a little bit about the secret sauce that we use to make sure that we are delivering outcomes for our clients. Pretty good conversation, wide ranging, and really shows some of the depth of Michael's experience and
1: expertise. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Wrap, Michael Arnold, Senior Consultant, one of our own here at Resourcive. What's going on today, Michael? Not a lot. Thank
2: you for having me today. Yeah, we're super happy to have you here and we've been we've been talking about it internally for a while and I think we've been we've been doing these informally after hours and we can sneak in some time between client meetings. So excited to have you on here and have you, you know, share your perspective and how you bring value to our clients.
0: Well, the reason you haven't had me for a while is I've been doing just that, spending time with the clients. So it's where I like to spend my time. Otherwise, I have to be spending it with you.
1: That's absolutely perfect. That's the type of culture that we're building around here. Look, it's it's client first. All jokes aside, Michael, give the listeners a little background about yourself because it's it's a long one.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really a career IT person. You know, it's what one thing that's u- unique about me and in, in what we do with Resourcive. I come from a consulting background, and I've been in IT and while we're we do a lot of work with things that people view as sales you know we're really in a consulting aspect so i have been doing technology for many years since you know late 70s so have worked with technologies that predate many of our customers today so i've been fortunate in working with a number of fortune 500 and 100 companies both domestically internationally have had a chance to work on systems construction Call center technologies, infrastructure management, communications on a global scale. It's been an exciting several decades in IT.
1: Yeah, so let's let's dig into it a little bit. So, well, first of all, I mean, what what have you learned? I guess in your history, when when that you brought over and has directly started to impact our clients, because we kind of joked about it up front. It's all about the client. I think we're source of one of the things that we do is we we put that client kind of before anything else here. What have you learned? That now makes you that IT sourcing, procurement, subject matter expertise that that IT leaders around the globe are are kind of trusting you to, to help run these projects?
0: I'd say one thing is that, you know, there's a certain experience in history that comes through repetition. And what I mean by that is the industry itself is continuing to repeat itself many years ago you know you had mainframes and this centralized computing and then people started getting desktops and it was all moving it out of the data center and putting it on the desk and putting the power in individuals hands and then it was wait the data needs to be back in the data center and then how do we talk to the data center and then it's how do we then centralize the computing in the data center and so everything keeps going back and forth in the industry and so having spent as much time in it as i have i've seen where The technology has continued to move both from the company to the data center to organizations providing virtual data center. Now we call it the cloud, and it used to be just large data centers. Data center structure has changed, but what people are ultimately trying to do is share data between employees, and they are trying to deliver some service to their customer. That information hasn't changed, and it moved from notebooks in the past to it's now data in workbooks and spreadsheets and huge portals of information. So what really has become important for me to be able to talk to some of the customers about is my actual experience having touched some of these systems and really unique and something that I think even you guys that work with me have never known. Many years ago, I actually worked in the aspect of wholesale distribution of computers that were being built. This predates the traditional PC that everyone has from the big box sellers, and where you would source these individual components out of different markets and and basic custom build computers for people. It was many, many years ago, but the commoditization of those resources really just caused an implosion of that, that it became cheaper to buy from the HPs and the compacts and things like this than it was to even build your own. Now, there's a cottage industry now that's still custom builds computers, but these are the gamers and the power-hungry computing people. But custom computing, what's really unique is you can virtually build your own computer with a number of clicks now inside of you know, an Amazon container or Microsoft Azure space. So the construction of having to source individual components to run a business has drastically changed. But the, the need for the knowledge of what components need to go into it, whether virtual or physical, really hasn't changed.
2: Michael, you know one of the things I've I've observed in working with you. I guess we've been working for together for almost four years now. That you bring that's super unique. I think in in our industry, we're doing strategic sourcing and we're doing it for IT services. But having been on the IT executive side, both as as a buyer and as a person that that was implementing, you know, you saw full cycle projects. You were there when the outcomes were actually delivered and realized. Not only during a sales cycle, or not only during an implementation. Quite often, you know, multiple months and multiple years after a solution is actually implemented, and those outcomes that the buying decision was made on are either realized or not. You know, and I think that's something that you bring that's incredibly valuable to our engagements, right? Because we're really focused on on outcomes delivered and actually seeing seeing those through. What is it that you see when you're, when you're kind of in that initial sourcing or maybe even in the, in the initial opportunity kind of review stage where you're, you're looking and saying, okay, what kind of strategies can we use to, let's say, achieve expense reduction? As you're looking at that, how are you thinking about that and kind of what's the framework that you're approaching that?
0: For one, when we were talking to vendors, suppliers, or anyone proposing a solution, sometimes it's as much about what's not said as it is about what is said. You know, as you mentioned, watching outcomes obtained, you know, is a great thing to have. But I've been part of projects that have met, lasted many years where the outcomes maybe weren't achieved as desirably as originally anticipated, or for many reasons, either the, the vendor changed, uh, you know, design mid process, maybe the industry changed, maybe the vendor disappeared, maybe the business objectives changed over a multi year project. Or maybe there was just a lot of, you know, overstatement of what's possible. So when we, when we take an approach, we get back down to what is kind of that recipe or what do you look for? You know, there's some experience that we bring to the table of what projects maybe have not been as successful and how we've had to help remediate those that we're looking for and preemptively building those into the process so that customers never see what wouldn't have happened had we not said that. That's an important thing. But the recipe is really just making sure that the, the facts are discovered upfront. What does the business, what do the users or what do the stakeholders actually want to get out of it? And this sometimes can be a very uncomfortable conversation because especially when it comes to money, people don't necessarily want to say what they really want. And at the stage when you are scoping out a project, the best thing any customer or any project member can be is brutally honest. That's, that's the first thing. You have to set the expectations for what you want all players to be able to perform. And don't just assume that just because you wanted it but didn't articulate it, that it was going to happen. And don't expect that you can add it in later because often that can come with either a disappointment of not being able to deliver, or an unplanned, unexpected cost. So really, it's making sure that everyone in the beginning is very understanding and enrolling that there needs to be an honest gathering of objectives and of those outcomes, true and complete, and then making sure that you have a vendor who is being honest and forthright with their true current capabilities. And that's a huge thing. We've all heard where a vendor is at the table and they're saying, oh, that's in our pipeline for development. Wonderful. We all have pipeline. We all have things that we're working towards. And generally speaking, not all of them ever get done from anybody. And that's one of the things that you don't want to make a decision with a part of your business for what is a promise. You want to make a real commitment on what is obtainable today and look for the potential growth. Together once that's in place as they continue to grow and you continue to grow as a company.
1: Look, I I love that I love that you brought up money because we knew we were getting there anyway. You know, one of the things when you think of resource, if you know anything about us, spend reduction, right? I think one of the things that we've really leaned into in the last call it twenty four months, is a more conscious effort to blend the spend reduction with the subject matter expertise that you're talking about. Now that's that's Primarily driven by private equity, right? What have you learned, you know, working with myself and, and colleagues that, that are reporting back to private equity about this space, about supporting their high growth, rapidly changing IT leaders in those portfolio companies?
0: One thing is that just because technology is advertised as being easy, just because technology is advertised as one click. I'll remind everybody a number of years ago when Microsoft Office was running these commercials for, you know, one click and all of your world and your business was great and you're running around the fields, you know, you know smelling daisies. And it was just wonderful because all you had to do was buy Microsoft Office and your, everything was fixed. The reality is that that information that looks easy takes a lot of due diligence, a lot of work to be done and done right and get the right outcomes. So while information says looks very easy to create savings or create a new technology or implement something, the the key thing we wanna say is it is achievable, but we have to make sure that we do it right. Don't rush success. Sometimes when you, you rush things to a certain point, businesses can actually miss even better opportunities now, sometimes there's a great time and a place for just taking what's immediately accessible, the best that is right now, because that time is more important than the potential value of money. But in many of these cases, especially private equity, there's a time and money balance. And so we want to make sure that we're not just rushing time, that we're making sure that we find the right opportunities. And if we approach things with with blinders, then we can we can just charge forward and we can do great work. On this one task and miss something that's immediately peripheral. Whether that has a a collateral cost to it or whether it's just something that we didn't affect, that has a big difference. These can also be accomplished in an iterative program. And so that's really where Resourcive doesn't look at trying to be, you know, a come in and leave. We really want to have a long-term relationship where we are able to take on those that are time-sensitive and financially-sensitive but then not just leave and ignore those other opportunities, but to sit down and now continue the process over and over repetitively and maximize that. Because just because you do it today doesn't mean that you won't need to do something else tomorrow. The technology, the industry, and the businesses
1: are all changing. So being, you know, several dozen deals in here, I mean, I can't even count how many deals you've, you've led here. What, what's the common pain point, the common Thread or threads that you're hearing from IT leaders when you're going in there in that rapid growth, maybe there's M and A that that's recently closed. What are you going in there and you know what are those initial fires? Is it visibility? Is it understanding and right right setting pricing? Like what what do you see as their main pain point when you're going in and doing that discovery?
0: I think in discovery, there there are, for for those that have been doing M and there is a big challenge with visibility of spend but not just from the actual dollar amount They very often they know what they're spending they just don't know how they're spending it and they don't know under which account number or anything else uh, i'll kind of reference you know one one customer recently you know we were working on a project and they couldn't identify the location of a you know of a specific bill for a specific very critical number to the business well in this case, you know numbers can be individually paid for on a credit card by an employee with credit card auto pay and may not even get a bill. And so for smaller companies that have been absorbed and acquired as part of acquisitions and growth, those types of elements can create real risk to the company because through time, all it takes is for that employee to no longer be with the company after the acquisition that credit card to stop paying for that number to no longer work, the number to be lost. And now you've lost this intellectual capital of this brand, this phone number that may be on print material or maybe, you know, customers calling. And sometimes when you move, when you lose a telephone number, they are very hard to gain back. You know, it's one thing if a number just gets suspended, but once you've forfeited it, it's almost impossible to retrieve those. So these are business risks that, you know, happen through the visibility aspect of M&A. The other challenge that happens with MA, all of the entities that are involved have their way of doing business. So how do we now take and create a common ground? And having been through you know several companies that have been on the merged and merging side or the acquiring side, one of the challenges is how do you get everyone to adopt one methodology? And sometimes the answer isn't just the main way that you know, when the dominant company had in place, maybe you know, it's a mixture of, or maybe it's a totally new technology, a shift to get everybody on board. But being able to get everybody on one common set of systems is a very difficult challenge sometimes. You could have different network technologies. You could have different carrier technologies, like MPLS, for instance. MPLS, common carrier. You don't mix and match these. SD WAN becomes an enabling capability to do that. So that's where we bring our expertise in to find ways to help transition from disparate technologies, separate ways of doing business, to even different ways of using and interfacing with vendors to now try and create common solutions.
2: Yeah, Michael, you know, the thing, the thing that I like that I see you bring to the table often is some nuanced approach to creating outcomes. You know I think in our in our space at times there's there's kind of this thought like oh it's 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 a commodity space you know you can you can go beat up one vendor versus another and you can create savings but what we've what we've seen over time and certainly what we what we look to do here is is not that it's it's bringing in new and different sourcing strategies and combining that with a with an expertise of the technology and combining those technologies in unique ways to create the outcomes you know i know you've been doing that quite a bit in the networking space with with transitions from legacy legacy networks to more modern networks but do you have anything you'd like to say about that so yeah that's that's a great question
0: the thing i'd say is there's is no one cookie cutter answer to what we do you know we're not trying to go out there and provide a broadband connection for you just because you have a small office there are different answers and sometimes the answer is A little of this and a little of that combined to create something great. And other times, it is doubling down or tripling down with a single vendor to maximize everything that one vendor can do. So it's really looking at each situation individually and finding out, is there a best combination of services? Just like every customer is unique. And it's interesting that it would always bother me when vendors would come to me as a customer. And, and just listen to what I would say about how I'm trying to build our business or how we're trying to put our technology in. And it was always this, oh, that's so unique, and this is so different, and you're doing business so different. And the reality is, I wasn't. They just weren't listening for the commonalities. We were all doing business the same way. We have data, we have employees, we have customers, we have services. It's a mixture of what we do with those things. And what pieces do we need to actually deliver with that? And we're all consuming internet today through multiple vehicles. We're all consuming voice in different vehicles today. We all make phone calls from our cell phone or from our computer. And many of us have moved away from a handset, you know, desktop, you know, handset, dial phone, or any of that. But we're still calling people. We're still interfacing. We haven't moved away to anything that is drastically different than the last 20 years if you look at it and that's coming back to the beginning that i mentioned is how technology is just running in circles it's using different tools to do the same things that we've been doing for decades we're doing it a lot more fat we're doing it a lot more and much faster and more of them at one
1: time well that's what's making me laugh because my next question to you is how are you seeing these technologies transform companies? Yes, we're doing the same thing we did 20 years ago. We're doing it better. We're doing it with more collaboration. We're doing it more seamlessly, more scalable. Give us a couple examples of maybe something on the network side and something on the voice side where you've went in and worked with a company and six months later you came out. Yes, there were savings. And oh, by the way, that company was transformed.
0: Yeah, I would say, you know, having a company from a voice standpoint, I'll start there. Once companies have moved into a true unified phone system, whether it's an on-premise single phone system or whether it's a cloud technology, once they all of a sudden realize that all of the individual locations can call each other without actually having to leave the building, dial nine, or you know, they're able to use technologies be it Microsoft Teams or any other collaborative element. Even before we add video to it, the fact that people are actually communicating through their computer kept them from being tethered to their desk. And that was a huge important thing that happened in 2020, obviously, that people were suddenly freed from their desk. Now, companies that really weren't using voice at that point in a collaborative way or on their computer suddenly found themselves in a difficult position back during 2024 as they started sending workers from home, suddenly started to use cell phones from an employee's perspective or having to buy massive cell phone plans. So that that drove a lot of informational need. I had one, one particular customer. It was, I will reference, they were working on a, a collaboration suite product for us. And we were in that implementation and things were moving along very well. They were moving to a you know, combined voice and collaboration platform that would allow them to not only chat, but share screen, share content documents and everything else, but also make phone calls. And they had made this decision to implement, you know, right at the end of 2019. And they were implementing in in 2020 and they had just finished this out. And then next thing you know, here we end up with COVID. And from this business's standpoint, had they not done this, then they would not have been able to continue business the way that they did. So this particular business, you know, being in the educational space, it put them in a strategically perfect position that they were able to have already just finished implementing a technology that they were immediately able to turn into a student-facing tool to allow their customer, their students, to actually continue being revenue-generating people for them, providing a service back to them, So that was transformative. Had they not done that, they didn't even do it in in consideration of COVID coming or work from home. They were just doing it as a natural business strategy. But it transformed not only the business, but it transformed how they operated with their customers. And their timing was perfect. They were ahead of the curve. From a network perspective, we also see customers being able to address regulatory and or geographic constraints. So I think that's a big thing is where customers used to, you know, nobody ever got fired for hiring IBM or AT&T. Well, the answer is that's a little different now because sometimes those companies independently don't have the footprint in certain areas or they don't have the price points that customers want to fit. So when we start moving into more commodity network products and still adding Service function around it, like with SD WAN or additional routers and security features. Customers are able to move away from this private MPLS and costly infrastructure into a different way of having flexibility. So now having redundancy can be much cheaper, having more bandwidth can be much cheaper, and security is actually still attainable, even though they're using commodity and what would be public access products. So, these are transformative because then customers are able to have more than one connection affordably for a location. One of my customers had single connections in each location because the cost of those MPLS were all that was really cost justified for those. Once we move them into a new technology, then they could actually afford to have more than one connection using different technologies because now the market was accessible because more than one smaller player service their facilities so they could kind of mix and match these and still get the both performance and security that they had in older legacy products. That was transformative because now when an outage occurs, then it just puts maybe a, a it's a different shift. The business wasn't shut down. Maybe it just performs slightly differently. Or in some cases, there's no change at all to the business. We had, and this actually goes back to network monitoring. It's a very important thing, especially as we move into this. Just because you make an investment in a new network, it doesn't mean it's set it and forget it. It still needs to have some level of administrative monitoring and care and or services around that. It could be a carrier-provided knock, or it could be some sort of application for monitoring and notification of the team. Because as we start to move into products that provide resiliency and redundancy, it's not impossible for a circuit outage to occur, and the business is so immune to that that it actually isn't even aware until the second outage happens. So that's an an important thing that we need to look at a holistic strategy, making sure that the overall solution still has the human factor involved to make sure that you're not just relying totally on technology, because technology can still fail. And when it fails, it needs to be remediated, either by a vendor or by employees. But if, you know, if we bring in two circuits and one circuit goes down, you're in a degraded mode. So it need to wait. don't wait for the second one to go down and find out that you're in the same position you were before you made you know, the investment in redundancy.
2: Michael, the one one thing you mentioned in there was about about security, you know, and I think that's been an emerging topic, especially in regards to SD WAN. You know, historically you you saw some of these partnerships where SD WAN providers were partnering with some of the firewall providers, but it seems like those worlds are really merging. You know, what are, what are you seeing when you're out out talking with the CIOs you're engaged with and in the sourcing projects you're running? How are how are people looking at that are, are people still largely kind of viewing these as two different silos are they are they seeing that convergence at the edge what how do you see people approaching that right now
0: really see two different approaches first is from the network engineering teams the, 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 the teams that have been very invested in the firewall engineer versus the routing engineer you know these these are two different roles in a lot of organizations where you had a security side or in some organizations, the network team did firewall and they did the routing. But now with these convergence of technologies into kind of one box or one set of services, you know, it's becoming one individualized role. Another thing that's really important is I think there's a transition that's occurring by these network engineers in the acceptance of more user interface prettiness. And what I mean by that is, you know, there used to be, you know, The routers and firewalls. You lived in a CLI world. Everything was, you know, text-based. You had to know this magic language. And at first, as these technologies came about, the CIOs looked at how pretty the interface was, and the engineers looked at it with skepticism about how much control they've lost because they've lost this like command interface. I've been working with computers for many years, and it took me quite quite a while personally to even accept the loss of control of Microsoft Windows, because I lived in this DOS world, and I knew all of my commands. And so I can really relate to that feeling of that engineer about losing that control. Uh, even still today, I pull up my little command prompt, and I'll run things out there, because I know I can do it better and faster than Windows can do it. But you know, that's that's a transition moment that the CIOs are looking at the the interface and the power of what it is capable of doing. And sometimes the engineer aspect takes this blind eye to what's in front of them because they're looking for the old way that they're used to looking at the technology. Once they start looking at it, that it's really just a set of tools to more quickly get them to a certain end point. Or in some cases, bring features and functions that maybe they didn't know the command for before immediately to their forefront then they start realizing the power of having these not only together, but have it in these new UIs that are available. Another thing that's important with these and how customers are looking at it, they are looking at these technologies that there's so much that they can do in one interface, as opposed to now trying to keep two different types of platforms synchronized. And that creates a security vulnerability in some cases. You know, if you have tiny holes in one aspect and tiny holes in another area, some people would look at this as being, well, but the opportunity of someone making it through both of them is very low. So there's a concern about having this in one. The reality of that is you don't want any holes. And if you can have no holes in one area, then you're far safer than having small holes in two different areas. And from a security posture standpoint, sometimes Vendors who do this for their business can help you as a business do it better than you could individually because they have a lot of lessons that they've learned from many customers, many industries, and it's not to say that the engineers today aren't good. They're great engineers. The technology has just gotten very complicated, and what the businesses expect the engineers to do today with much smaller teams, much shorter timeframes, and much lower budgets is very hard for them to attain that same quality level without the aid of what the vendors have to offer.
1: Yeah, and I think that as we like to do here ties back to the importance of a trusted advisor or a partner like ourselves that, that can come in there and and listen, learn, understand the end goals and and get you there faster and hopefully alleviate a lot of that pain and stress. Cause like you say, it I'm shocked every time we go into a large enterprise client and how small some of these teams are, you know. Putting someone like you and the consultants that support you in there obviously is, is a nice augment, but not everyone has has that available to them. I think we can we can shift now. We do something kind of fun as we as we close out, and we do some quick hitters. And the first one is it's actually a unique one for Resorcev. I'd like to know if you could get rid of one teammate at Resorcev. Who would it be and why? Probably have to be Nick. <laughs> I knew it Fuck because Nick God always
0: Nick, <laughs> you know Nick is always asking me for information. He's always asking me to deliver for his clients, and you know what's really great about Nick is he is all over the place, but it just means I have to keep delivering to him as well as customers.
1: You know that's actually a, a, a fair answer, and I think we could probably keep that one. But, but in all honesty, we, we like to ask people <laughs> their favorite piece of tech, software, application that you can't live without. Maybe it's something that empowers you in, in your in your career. Maybe it's something personal. What do you got? You can't say your phone.
0: No, it probably wouldn't be my phone. But there are. I'll, I'll approach this in a couple of areas. When I'm traveling, you know, one of the, the tools that I live by when I'm traveling on my smartphone, if anyone's ever using it, is FlightAware. I love it. I use it every day when I'm traveling. I use it when friends and family are traveling. And it, it is just, it is is one of my go-to tools on my mobile phone as, as a business traveler. That's just one that's out there. There are some business tools that, you know, I would become somewhat crippled by, you know, if, if you took them away from me in the everyday world. And, you know, I think, there's so much that can be done. Everyone around me will come as no surprise. You know, Microsoft Excel is probably one of the most powerful tools I think that Microsoft has created over over the years for a application standard desktop user. It's, it's underrated by many and underused by everyone. So it, there's a lot of capability in that. So there's a ton in, inside of that. So that's one of mine. But, you know, I think one item that is just from a, technology perspective, as we look at you know technology and technology visibility, you know, there are a lot of inexpensive entry products to large-scale products. And I think anybody in the industry should look at whatever freeware versions are available of the high-cost platform products. For instance, something like a PRTG. PRTG is a really good, and not trying to plug a specific product, but it's a great way to look at network performance. And from a free version, you can use it in your home space, on your home computer, and learn exactly what's possible for businesses to even see at from a commercial level. So it's a great way to gain exposure to what's possible within businesses from a network monitoring, performance monitoring, and management standpoint, without even making an investment in these SD-WAN technologies or more costly tools and technologies.
1: Excellent. And lastly... We like to see if we can make anyone a little bit of money around here. Any tech stocks you like? They don't have to be tech, but we usually lean that way.
0: Recently, I've been really interested in Tesla. Tesla has really excited me, you know, since since they've you know started with a car and you know looking at batteries and all of this. But really, what makes Tesla an exciting tech stock for me and my interest tech at the moment is that what they're doing with their network of services it directly affects us in our industry. It's basically broadband from the sky. And low-earth orbit satellites delivering, it's probably one of the most attainable technologies that we see based on who is looking at delivering this today. So I'm really excited about what that's going to do. I actually think that it could easily outshadow the automotive aspect of the business because we look at how connected as a world we are. And if we Take, for instance, this last year, how stable we all are with lack of travel, those cars are becoming less important and our internet is becoming
2: more. Yeah, I saw a really interesting Twitter response the other day from Elon Musk on Starlink, and it was, you know, essentially what what's going to happen in regulated countries? You know, what are they going to do? And his response was shake their fist at the sky. You know, so while I think it's super interesting as a tech stock, I think it as just a what it could produce, you know, just for for humanity is really. Really interesting, you know, with just putting information in more more people's hands, specifically in you know countries that otherwise haven't had access to it. So'd be really interesting to see what happens there, even from access a geopolitical issues. perspective,
0: yeah, and whether those access issues are long term just because the infrastructure doesn't exist, or like what happened in Germany earlier this year with the floods, you know, and being able to you know have people connected when they didn't otherwise the term i used earlier with some people that i spoke with was it was life changing for some people that they could actually communicate with their loved ones and let them know that they were alive i mean this this is transformative to a community and it also shows some of the weakness of the ter- terrestrially bound you know network infrastructure that we have we are not a terrestrially bound you know set of people we want to always be on the move and we don't want our internet in one location we're having more bandwidth on our phones and want our phones and computers to move with us so i think that's really an important area and that's why that's my tech stock
1: love it well i appreciate you coming on here we, we both do look there are private equity firms that say i want my companies working with michael arnold and that's because you go to bat form every single time and it's awesome to be a teammate of yours and thanks for joining and without further ado that's a wrap Thanks for listening to The RAF Resourcive as a Podcast. For more information about Resourcive and how we are creating value for our clients, find us at Resourcive.com or reach out to us directly at TheWrapAtResourcive.com.